Welcome to another edition of the C.L. Brown Show. I am your host, C.L. Brown, columnist with the Louisville Courier-Journal. And on this episode, I will be joined by Richmond Times-Dispatch columnist David Teal. I jokingly call David the senator of ACC Media. He's been covering the league for a long time. He's going to join me to break down what's going on with Florida State's lawsuit to break the grant of rights and leave the league. And we're going to weigh in on where ACC basketball is in terms of the bigger picture nationally as the league kicks off conference play. Uh, And Louisville will be at Virginia on Wednesday night, tonight, basically, when this podcast comes out. But before we get into that, I'm going to do a little CL Sounds Off segment. All right, I'm going to keep this one short and sweet because I don't think there's a lot that needs to be said. I was watching the TV the other day, watching UCLA play a game at Oregon and noticed that UCLA had both of their foreign players uh, who the ACC, I mean, the NCAA, you know, had to take a closer look at to make sure they weren't professionals. That was the day Mara... And uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but it's it's Berkay Buyuktenshil, player from Turkey. Buyuktenshil. Try saying that fast. But both of those guys, you know, they, they were vetted by the NCAA. They were in what some people thought were complicated situations. Um, but they were clear to play before the start of the season they've they've been eligible before you know um ucla well actually but yukton still wasn't wasn't cleared until the team played in the maui invitational but still that's still november that's still early in the season he's been playing long enough and he's coming in the conference play knowing their system knowing what mick cronin wants out of them knowing the expectations all that good stuff he's playing that's my point. He's playing. Now let's move over to Kentucky and their seven foot two Croatian, Zvonimir Ivisic. He's not playing. And the question is why? What's the NCAA doing? Uh, surely there, there are questions that arise with his participation with a professional team and whether he was compensated for it. You know, and again, I mean, we, we all know, yes, the NCAA has to make sure that colleges aren't sneaking in professionals uh, to play college basketball. But, you know, there there's <laughs> it doesn't seem like it should take this much time to figure out if he was clearly compensated as a professional overseas <clears throat> or if he wasn't. I mean, clearly... The NCAA can do it at other schools and figure that out. I don't I'm not sure what the holdup is for Evisic. And now, you know, there was some question on if the kid would even return from Croatia because he was able to go home over the holiday break. And, you know, this situation, John Calipari alluded to it. This situation had him a bit disturbed, a bit 
with, with you know obviously with that's that's reasonable to expect a kid you know 19 year old kid to kind of be uh depressed and that's my word that's not calipari's word and i'm not saying he's you know uh literally going through a depression but i'm saying he's unable to play and he's got to be bummed about it and calipari kind of intimated that saying that he had lost some weight and he needed to go home for just his his mental well-being but he's definitely back in lexington which is a good sign for the cats now the ncaa needs to let that kid on the court for the first time because dragging this out actually let me backtrack they don't need to let him on the court they need to make a decision they need to let him know if he's going to be on the court or if he's not they need to let it be known because just having this stuff drag out and i'm not aware of any other situation in major college basketball you know with major college basketball teams right now of a player from overseas who is still not ruled eligible by the ncaa in the same manner that savannah Mir's situation has has unfolded so i say all that to say let that kid play or don't let him play but make a decision like now so that he can go on with his life he can go on either trying to prepare to become a professional or trying to crack UK's lineup which won't be an easy thing to do anyway um, with the way they got things going right now and the synergy they seem to play with but let him play man let it be known that'll do it for sound off let's move on to welcoming david teal to the podcast usually i save the the big question for the later part in the the latter part of the interview but i want to jump right in with uh talking about florida state their lawsuit the acc's counter lawsuit um and where where the conference looks like, you know, what the conference looks like, where we're going in the ACC. Um, Obviously we've been kind of anticipating that this was going to happen based on kind of the, the noise and the murmuring coming from Florida state and Tallahassee for a while. Um, How long do you think this might play out before there's, you know, either some kind of agreed upon settlement of of cash or a court actually moves this thing forward with with the ruling i think we're looking at protracted either negotiations cl or a court case because this is complicated this is not texas and oklahoma negotiating their way out of the Big 12's grant of rights one year early to the tune of $50 million each. This is Florida State trying to escape a grant of rights that extends until 2036 and that its own lawyers acknowledge in the lawsuit that if held to the letter of the grant of rights and the exit fee, which is separate in the bylaws, that Florida State would essentially be on the hook for $573 million. 
dollars. Which is absolutely crazy to think about that number. <laughs> right. Ex ex exactly. I mean, we're talking about your contract, man. I mean, that's, that's what you get there at the Courier Journal, right? <laughs> right, but, right. But, you know, Texas and Oklahoma, they were leaving for the, for the SEC either a year early or not. If Florida State somehow gets out of the grant of rights and the exit fee, the entire future of the ACC is in question. Yeah. And the league is going to battle until the bitter end because it it's literally its future is at stake yeah i, I feel like that's going to make for some awkward <laughs> interactions for sure well right what's your take on and I, I found this part interesting uh with the florida state presentation and in, in their lawsuit that uh, i was not aware that espn has the option for the final nine years of the contract uh, to, to pick up uh, in 2027, the, the last mm -hmm. nine years. How do you think that might factor into, uh, and this is totally speculative, obviously, yes. but uh, it, it, what part, what kind of role do you think that might factor into, to, you know, whether they're able to break this grant of rights? I don't know that it really does. And certainly given that the deal is fairly advantageous by today's market rates for ESPN, you would certainly think that the network would want to take those last nine years and, and re-up and, and take that option. Now, if Florida State weren't in the league, then all bets are off but it's you know anyone who can tell us or thinks they can tell us exactly how this is going to play out is fooling themselves because we are in such uncharted territory no one yeah. in college athletics has ever legally challenged a grant of rights well, I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I, I was, I was sitting here like yeah. I was hoping you could tell me, David. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, gonna play out. <laughs> I, I, I wish I could. Uh, eventually, CL, Florida State and the ACC are getting a divorce. Yes, I mean it, it. It's it's poisoned beyond repair. Now, the relationship. And to, to, to think that somehow it could be patched up to me is far-fetched. Yeah. So that means when does it happen? What are the terms? And oh, by the way, where does Florida State go? Yeah. So, I, I mean... And again, I'm going to ask you to speculate here, uh, just your opinion. But do you think that that had anything to do? Do you think the ACC would have lobbied harder for Florida State to make the college football playoff had, uh, you know, had the past year and change been different? Had they not been actively trying to seek another suitor <laughs> as it is? Well, a, a couple things about lobbying for the CFP. 
Number one, you don't have to be public about it like Greg Sankey. Yes. You can be more you can be more subtle, which is Jim Phillips's way for better or for worse. That's number one. Number two, I'm not sure how much lobbying helps. Hmm. I, I, I find it difficult to imagine that the folks on that committee who have so much data at their disposal, who watch all the games, at least that is their job to watch all the games. They have access to you know, condensed versions on tape. It's not like they have to wade through the commercials yeah. <laughs> or anything like that. You know, we're, we're, we're in 2024 now. We have the technology for this. I don't think they care what us dopes in the media say. I don't think that they care what commissioners say on game day or wherever they may be uh, doing an interview. I think they're very confident in their own observations and their own interpretations of the data. Yeah. Uh, I, I just I just think that's overblown and maybe I'm naive. I it, it's 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 certainly possible, but that's my take on the lobbying end of it. And if lobbying mattered and if Jim Phillips thought lobbying mattered, I'll bet you he did do it behind closed doors because to be the first conference to have its undefeated champion, the first power conference to have its undefeated champion left out of the CFP and really the last, because this will never happen again, given the expansion, mm -hmm. it's a terrible look. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, I will say the, the one, um, I, I agree with you on, on in terms of the lobbying, but the one thing I feel like needed to be changed or challenged before this committee uh, chose the teams was I, the SEC has such a powerful foothold, I think, in the psyche of just, you know, people involved with college football in terms of. Mm -hmm. They are the number one conference every year, regardless of who else is really the number one conference. You know what I mean? Like they, they've yeah. got the strongest brand in college football. And I think no that question. needed to be challenged and, and the facts needed to be put out there more. So people might take a step back and, and kind of reconsider. Cause I, I think just, you know, naturally you think, uh, of course, Alabama has to be in it. You know, yeah. how's the SEC not going to be in it? But I, mm -hmm. I felt like this was a down year in the SEC. It I was. To, yeah, I tend to think when a team like, and no disrespect to Missouri in the year they had, or Ole Miss, but I feel like when those teams are in the top part of the SEC, to me that says this is a down year. So, um, but I'd still, you know, obviously, who knows if that would have helped. Uh, to your point, they they have well – they they have more information than they need in terms of these teams and yeah. and make and, and see them. let's also be be clear about one other thing we're not having this conversation about Florida State's exclusion if Jordan Travis doesn't get hurt oh true true exactly which was so unfortunate but yeah. oh my gosh be beyond yeah 
Well, let us uh, move forward from Florida State. And since I'm talking about the biggest brands, the ACC as a basketball conference used to be Mm -hmm. the biggest brand, or at least, you know, parentally one of the biggest brands. And I feel like that's taking a hit. (laughs) David, talk me off this cliff here. (laughs) Um, How do you see the conference right now in terms of basketball? Well, last two years, only five teams in the NCAA tournament. That is, again, a bad look for the league. The interesting part of it is, though, in those two seasons, the ACC has had three teams combined in the final four. Duke and Carolina in 22, and then Miami last season. So it's good teams have been pretty darn good, although Carolina was a train wreck during the regular season <laughs> yeah. in 21-22. In and then all of a sudden got the ship righted uh, for five consecutive games in the NCAA tournament. It has uh, turned Armando Baycott ankle away, I would argue, from hanging a banner in the Smith Center. Yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. And, 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 and beating Kansas in, in that game uh, this year. And, and again, you, you made the remark that if Missouri and Ole Miss are near the top of the SEC, it must mean it's a down year in football. Is Clemson the best basketball team in the ACC? They, they very well might be, which. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I would make I, the I same think, argument. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I think they are right now. Now, could could Duke and Carolina change our minds? Absolutely. There's enough talent on those rosters to do exactly that. But performance-wise, to date, Clemson's been the best team in the league. Your eyes <clears throat> tell you that the metrics tell you that it's fairly indisputable yeah so i I think uh getting joe gerard was was a huge pickup for for that team and if pj hall stays healthy they are they are definitely formidable um one one thing that i always look at as an indicator of of how well the conference is is you know what they do in non-conference play and Mm -hmm. um looking at the best wins and the notable losses again it it doesn't seem like it stacks up well for the ACC right now i mean um carolina you know beat oklahoma and tennessee those are two top top 15 teams for sure um mm-hmm. duke beating baylor in new york was was a yes. big win i'm not sure if you can count <laughs> michigan state <laughs> at not this point yeah, as, right? as being a great win but um it seems like you know after that, it kind of seems like there are few and far between, you know, UVA uh, beat Texas a and I felt like that was a great win. At the time, it might have looked better than it does now. I'm not sure that Texas A&M is staying on that upper tier like I thought they were going to trend. Um, but some of the losses, Duke losing at home to Arizona, big loss. Uh, Carolina losing to Kentucky and UConn. Um 
Clemson losing at Memphis in a game I thought they controlled the whole time. And then yeah, <laughs> at the end, Memphis just kind of stink sneaks up. Yeah. UVA also lost to Memphis and, and Wisconsin. Um, and Miami is kind of the puzzling team because I thought they'd be better. I saw them get blown out at my, uh, at Kentucky and that um, performance was really strange. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's like, uh, Again, I mean, it's a year where it's, you know, do they get five teams in this year to the NCAA tournament? I think at least the, the, the good news for the league, if, if there is any right now, is there are, they have more teams. Like right now, 11 of the 15 teams are among the top 80 of the net rankings. Yes. Whereas this time a year ago, there was only eight. Hmm. So there are, no offense intended, there are fewer Louisvilles in the <laughs> league this season than there were last season. Yeah. And and I <laughs> I do think Louisville is better. Let me say that. Yes. I do yeah. think Louisville oh, and, is better and, and, than, and, than last again, year. But clearly they are. But yes, to your and point, Georgia Tech is much better. Yes, they had the huge win against Duke, and we saw Notre Dame just beat UVA, which which to me was a head scratcher as well. After seeing Notre Dame lose to the Citadel, Citadel um, and and Western Carolina. Yes, yeah. So and clearly, it's a rebuilding year. So no no knock against uh, what Michael Strewsbury is trying to do there. But um, you look at it like that. That hasn't happened for Tony Bennett's teams, those kind of losses uh in the past. And uh I don't know. It's 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 a puzzling, <laughs> it's it's gonna be a puzzling kind of year, I feel like. So, you know, obviously my podcast will put this out on Wednesday morning. So it's not a lot of time between, you know, there won't be a lot of time to between this conversation and the actual game, Louisville playing at at Virginia, but what what are some of the hurdles you see for this Cavaliers team right now? And and do you think you think Louisville has a shot in JPJ Arena? No, <laughs> I, I, I've seen far better Louisville teams come in there and and not be competitive. And granted, against far better Virginia teams, but Virginia's undefeated at home. This is the first time since Tony Bennett's second season in Charlottesville that Virginia has lost three games by more than 20 points. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Right? I, mean, they've gotten, I didn't even realize all three of their losses were by 20, but yeah. Wow. Yeah, they, they've gotten run three times. Wisconsin, Wisconsin and Memphis, you can excuse. Notre Dame, you can't. Yeah. And, and, and the hurdle, CL, is there are games, you know, overall Virginia's offensive numbers aren't bad. Mm -hmm. But in those three losses, Virginia shot a combined 19% beyond the arc. And while Tony Bennett can excuse that, what he can't condone and what drives him crazy is that in each of those three games that inability to score has impacted their willingness 
to God. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you, you know what Tony Bennett feels about defense. That's the bedrock of his program. And what has made it that is that offense doesn't affect defense. It is a constant. It is dependable. It hasn't been this year. And I think that's Virginia's greatest hurdle right now. Well, well, they were one of the teams I was expecting to be, you know, among the top tier in the ACC. And, you know, given Tony Bennett's track record, I still think they could get there by the end of the season. But (laughs) clearly it's going to take some work. Yeah. Well, um, I will leave it there, David. I appreciate you joining me uh today on this podcast. Um, do you have any you have any sweeping thoughts of of where you see uh ACC basketball heading into the NCAA tournament? Not real. I I I think you know, lack of brand. Notwithstanding, I, I really do like Clemson's team and size issues aside. If Nigel Pack gets healthy again, I know he's been struggling with a with a back issue. Miami's awfully skilled. Yeah. And I am a huge North Shadow Mirror fan. And just love his game, and you know, especially at the college level, he he made he may lack the size uh, to to be an elite NBA guy. But uh, at, at the college level, I just think he's he's so good. And plus, I think Jim Laranaga is one of the best to ever do it. Yeah, yeah. And that th- that faith leads me to believe that they'll be okay. And I know the folks um, are a little perplexed and maybe even frustrated with the start of the season. But there's too much talent on that squad for it to get completely sideways. And now for the final installment for the 2023 football season before we transition into college basketball. The national title game is set. We have number one Michigan facing off against number two Washington. The Wolverines are four and a half point favorite in the opening line. Obviously, Michigan has has been one of the favorites, I should say, the entire year from wire to wire to be in this position Washington was probably more of a bit of a surprise for people. Um, and let me take this. Let me let me make a quick detour just to say last week I went two and two on on my picks. I lost on U of L and USC against the spread. I lost on Clemson and Kentucky against the spread. I took the Tigers to cover. I think it was five and a half. They did not. Um, But I won the CFP picks that I made, which was Michigan. At the time, they were a point and a half favorite over Alabama. And I also won on Washington. 
uh, and they were getting three and a half against Texas. So I say that to say going into this national title game, I feel like the Huskies continue to be underrated, undervalued. I think that was the case of the entire Pac-12 this year. And to me, for my money, the Pac-12 was the best conference this this past football season, which is which is a bit sad since we will no longer see the Pac-12 as a conference as as we once knew it. Who knows what happens with their alliance, the Pac-2 of Oregon State and Washington State and what's going to happen with you know maybe inviting members of the Mountain West or whatever, however that's going to play out. It's not going to be the same, right? But I think they go out with a bang. I'm not only going to pick Washington to cover these four and a half points. I'll gladly take those points. I'm going to pick them to win outright and, and upset the Wolverines. And here's why. Michigan has not faced a quarterback like Michael Penix Jr. this year. And as you saw against Texas, he can do it all. He can make all the throws. He can use his legs when he needs to, to to keep a play alive or to get yards on the ground. And I just think their offense is going to make up for <laughs> whatever their defense allows because their defense isn't isn't great by any stretch, but it it has an uncanny knack to make plays. Washington, um, this this entire season. In close games, they come through and they get a stop that they need. We saw that at the end of the Texas game. The The thing that sticks, concerns me, though, is I, I thought a lot of those calls were a bit questionable late in the game. Texas never should have come down to uh, it never should have been that close. Um, they had the game one instead of kneeling on the ball. Um uh, you know, their coach chose to to run. He had a little bit of Manny Diaz from Miami. There were shades of the Georgia Tech game where instead of just kneeling, he was running and they fumbled and Georgia Tech came back and won in the last 23 seconds. Texas was very close to pulling off the same kind of caper um, when uh, Dylan Johnson got injured. They had stopped the clock in the last minute and Washington wasn't able to run out as much time. But I'm babbling a bit on that. I say all that to say, though, Washington's offense is high-powered. I think Vegas is, uh, well, the people that are betting are going to love Michigan and have fallen in love and think that the Big Ten, which this is a future Big Ten matchup next season, but um, they, they're going to think the Big Ten was just a superior conference and produce the superior team, which, I mean, maybe that's the case. Who knows? Um, they definitely weren't the superior conference because outside of Michigan and Ohio State, there are a lot of suspect teams in the Big Ten this year, including Penn State um, in that mix. But I'm going to go with the Huskies and uh, give me those points. Uh, one quick stat to throw out there. Washington is uh, 11 and one in one score games under head coach Kalen DeBoer um, for the past two seasons. And they're 10 and 0. And this is DeBoer and Michael Penix Jr. 
as a combination together. They're 10 and 0 against ranked teams, which also includes their win over Texas in the semifinals. And lo and behold, Michigan's a ranked team. Let's see if they go to 11 and 0. That'll do it for pickup lines. The last college football pickup line of the year, well, of the season. And uh, that will also conclude this episode of the CL Brown Show. I thank you for tuning in. Please click on those subscribe buttons. Leave a comment. Leave a positive review because we need more love in this world. And sit back, relax. Catch me next Wednesday for another edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. 